we all have our own life experiences and we all have our own lens and our own filter by which we're able to tell stories and we're able to bring those experiences to people. And some people it's absolutely going to resonate with. Other people it's not, and that's okay. But for the people that it does resonate with, those people are going to be almost evangelical about you because they can connect at a much deeper level that's beyond just, you know, the head connection like this logically makes sense. But it they connect at the heart like they actually feel connected because you have shared values or shared mindset or shared philosophy or shared experiences. And that's where you really connect with people. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. And today, Ziggler Executive Vice President Mark Tim and I bring you a high-octane discussion with Stu McLaren. Who is Stu? He is a primary mastermind behind connecting leaders with their audiences. Michael Hyatt, who has been wildly successful with his platform, University, well, Stu was his partner in creating that. Stu is about connection, authentic connection. It's hard to have a monopoly on any information and knowledge these days, but nothing can replace engagement and relationship. Stu coaches and consults New York Times bestselling authors, top-rated speakers, experts, and niche celebrities on how to launch, grow, and scale high-profit recurring revenue streams, primarily around profitable and fulfilling membership sites, where the point is human connection and relationships. In the show, we talk about Stu's personal journey also that brought him such huge success and why he's now devoted himself in his work to helping people connect And through that in his personal life, helping some of the least fortunate on earth, he and his wife build schools in Kenya. You're going to hear about that and you will be incredibly inspired. Stu's also the former founder of the world's number one membership platform for WordPress, Wishlist Member, where he had the chance to serve and support over 60,000 plus online communities and membership sites. Through that experience, he gained a unique insight into the subtle membership nuances that produce massive results. You're going to hear about some of those today. His new endeavor that you'll hear in this show is Tribe, where you can find out more at zigshow.com slash tribe. We're going to dive in with Stu as soon as we bring you two great offerings. Okay, folks. Here now, Mark, Tim, and I bring you Stu McLaren. All right, Stu, we're going to dive in. Just honored to have you here. Again, I've, I've known so much about you from so many people for so long, and I want to get into some of the business part, but I want to know about your personal journey. What inspired your true performance? I mean, you've had such significant success in business world, and now with your humanitarian fronts. We just want to know how and why, and and literally, I want to go back, I mean, to your upbringing, how did it influence your path towards success? Well, for me, I want, I grew up in a very small town, about an hour and a half south of Toronto. And when I say small town, I mean it. Like I had corn on one side and cows on the other, you know? And so I grew up in this family where both my parents worked really, really hard. And I don't know if anybody listening can relate, but you know, both my parents had two full-time jobs. My dad, he worked in a high school with kids with special needs from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon. And then four nights a week, he would work in a group home with people with special needs from eight at night till eight in the morning. Now, on top of that, he was also always there at every basketball game, soccer game, you know, cross country meet. He was there supporting and cheering my sister and I on. I don't know when he slept. Uh, personally, but, um, but that was the kind of, you know, upbringing. My mom was same. She worked in a elementary with, uh, kids with autism and, you know, so she'd work, you know, the school hours nine to three and then, uh, three nights a week, she was working in a, a fine dining restaurant as well. So I just grew up in a really hard working family. And I think that certainly was a big influence on me. And then the other big influence for me was in amongst all of that, it was a very loving environment. You know, my parents, both of them had, you know, challenging uh, upbringings as kids. And when they came together, they swore that they would give their kids the absolute best, most loving upbringing that they could. And they did. So for me, I grew up in a very loving, but hardworking environment. And that was really where everything began for me. 
So you mentioned in there, and I'm curious about your parents working with special needs kids and such. Uh, it's actually one of the clips that we played a lot from, from Zig Ziglar, and he cites this study that was done of top CEOs and big influencers and how this high percentage of them came from homes where there either was abject poverty or there were some uh, handicaps, either themselves or a sibling. And really, as we talked about that and fleshed that out, uh, to Tom Ziglar's credit, he says, I really think it was because people found out that life wasn't just about them them. And it took that focus off there. Does that relate to you? Yeah, I think uh, for sure. Like we had, um, you know, both my parents would bring uh, the kids and the people they were looking after uh, around the home and it developed naturally within us a sense of empathy and understanding and compassion. And I think all of which have served me tremendously well, you know, moving forward, both in business and in life. And I think that uh, the more we can expose our kids to the fact that everything is not pinpoint perfect. Uh, there are going to be challenges in this world, and how we handle them is really the the um, thing that marks our character, our true character. Yeah. Um, but that certainly um, helped me develop a lot of compassion and empathy as growing up. Okay, so in the same light, though, you have a family story of your own brewing there. You've got, I believe, a little girl that is your biological uh, so here she is, and she's in a uh, you know fluent white family here. And then along comes another story. Tell us about that real quick. Well, my wife and I have always had a passion for uh, adopting, and I think it's come from the fact that we started a nonprofit many years ago where we build schools over in Africa, specifically in Kenya. And so we just have seen a lot of kids who would desperately love to have an environment to be able to grow up in with loving parents, but they don't. And so there's a lot of kids around the world who just don't have parents that could, uh, would absolutely love them. And so we would see this every single year because we're over in, uh, in Africa every year. And so we had a real heart for wanting to, you know, adopt and, and support one of these children, but it's a long process. It's not easy. And it took us ultimately eight years to finally be matched up with our amazing son, Sam, and who we adopted from South Africa. And he's, uh, he's just uh, an amazing, amazing uh, little boy, and uh, we love him to bits. And he's been with us now for the last uh, two and a half years, and uh, he's, he's a real gem. Well, I got to tell you, Stu, um, and Kevin, you may not know this, but uh, I've had an opportunity to meet Stu's kiddos, and they're both gems and full of energy, and their house is full of love and full of life, and so real joy to spend time with their family and just see what's happening there. And so so I can see now where your, your upbringings, you know, how that really shaped your character and shaped your love for people and the desire to want to help people. And you've continued that, obviously, in the work that you're doing uh, in, in Kenya and uh, really, you know, for these children around the world. And so, so I want to know, I, I, I see such a linear, you know, connection to all of that. So let me ask you this. When did you first become aware that you wanted to achieve and realize more than, say, everybody, just the average, that, that you wanted to achieve more than just the average that was around you? Well, I can trace it back to when I was roughly around the age of 12. And my dad loves to tell this story, but uh, it really was a, you know, a turning point for me, especially as a young entrepreneur. And that was, um, you know, one of, one of my, excuse me, let me back up. My dad, because we weren't, you know, you know, financially independent. We didn't have a lot of financial resources in our home. My dad was very handy. He did everything himself. And that meant, you know, if the dishwasher was broken, he'd be figuring out how to fix it. If, you know, there needed to be uh, pictures hung, he was doing it. If there was furniture that needed to be built, he was creating it. Um, and so he was just one of those very hands-on guys uh, that figured everything out. And this was, by the way, before like, you know, YouTube and everything where he had like video tutorials of everything under the sun. He would just yeah. figure stuff out. And but growing up in that, there was this point in time when I was 12 years old and my dad was building a deck outside for our house. And he said to me, he's like, Stu, why don't you come outside and uh, I'll show you how to build the deck? Because one day you're going to need to learn this for yourself. And I said to him not rude, but just in just my 12 year old mindset, I said, no, no, dad, I, I don't, I don't want to learn that. And he said, well, what do you mean you don't want to learn that? And I said, well, I want to make enough money that I can pay somebody to do that for me. And he was just like, oh, and so that was like <laughs> one of those turning points. 
But here's what I here's the reason I think that that came up at that age, because as I said, my parents worked tremendously hard. Nobody worked harder than my parents. And growing up, I realized that hard work was not the only factor to success. Because if it were, my parents would have been the most financially successful people that I know. And so there was this disconnect that happened for me. And I started to start, I started asking different types of questions like, how are some people more financially well off than others if it's not solely tied to hard work? And those were the early you know, lessons for me or the early beginnings of that new path that you were talking about, Mark, where I wanted more for me and, you know, for maybe my future family at that time, I didn't realize it, but it started getting me asking different types of questions that maybe I was not exposed to before. So it's, it's interesting, even as you talk about that being a kid, I mean, there's a lot of kids who their memory of childhood was watching cartoons and now, of course, playing video games, and yet you're having these insights. And so, I mean, you know, Ziggler, we're focused so much on motivation, and the question is, is often with somebody like you, what do you look back on and say, gosh, what was, what was the motive that made you think in those wavelengths? Those aren't childhood thoughts, and those aren't childhood endeavors. Where does the motive come from? It's a good question, Kevin. I honestly, I, I don't know. Like I I've always been fairly motivated. I think like I can definitely, um, trace back some more of the, the motivation and where it came from when I think about my high school days, you know, I've always been involved in athletics, uh, loved sports in every capacity, whether it be soccer is my, my main game, but like, you know, uh, basketball, like I said, track, like volleyball, all kinds of sports. And I remember my grade nine year, um, I was nominated for athlete of the year. And I didn't even know that there was like an athlete of the year, but I was nominated for it. And I was just like beside myself. Like it was like, you know, one of the greatest honors. And I, I didn't think that I would win in grade nine, but what it did was it, it, um, it gave me the, uh, motivation to try to win it the next year. Hmm. And so uh, I didn't win in my grade nine year and in my grade 10 year, I didn't even get nominated and I was crushed, like absolutely crushed. But it was my parents picked me back up off the floor and they said, look, you didn't win. You didn't even get nominated this year. But what that does is that now gives you motivation to prove people wrong and uh, to prove that you should have been nominated and you should have won. And I did. And so the next year, I not only got nominated, I won it in grade 11. I won it in grade 12. And we had grade 13 back then. And so I won it in grade 13 as well. And then I also won it for all of our entire county. And I think it was one of those things where when I love it when people um, uh, cast doubt on what's possible. I love that. I thrive on that. Because for me, that's an opportunity to uh, push the boundaries of what's done, what's been done before. And I think like even now, when I think about our business, like I look at the way that we market our business and the way that we deliver our products and our services as an opportunity to push the boundaries of what's possible to create art, if you will, to create a masterpiece um, around what it is that we're offering. And back then that's really what it was. It felt like this was like a masterpiece. And I knew I was strategic about like, this wasn't just about the athletic performance, although that was important, but I knew the edge that I would have was that I had uh, good grades and I was involved in other activities. And so when you compare like athletes side by side, if all, you know, athletic performance is equal, they have to evaluate it on some other components. And I just knew that I, I could create an edge that way. So it was just, I love, I love being told what it can't do so that I can then, you know, go for the opportunity of, uh, you know, share or uh, exposing people to, to a new possibility. All right. So I love that story. And we're getting like a really clear picture of kind of the inner, the beginnings of Stu McLaren, where he came from, what he was thinking, certainly role your parents had. So now let's say advance forward, you know, five, 10 years, and you're not in your parents' home, you're not in that ecosystem. And so have you had times of losing your motivation outside of your that that home ecosystem that you had that was such a uh, foundation stone for you or is there times that you really doubted yourself you know when you were out there on your own you like sprung forward from this foundation and then boom you know has there been times where you doubted yourself and how did you deal with that yeah absolutely I mean back in college we experienced that like when um 
I failed out of my first year of university. So, you know, I was in the <laughs> honors business program and I was playing soccer at, at uh, university and soccer was a priority for me over school. And so I got to the end of the year and I got the little pink notice that said, Stu, you may no longer proceed in the honors business program. And, uh, and that was a real, that was a, a, a real gut check moment. You know, like, is this really something that I want to pursue? Like, you know, how am I going to handle this? Um, the good news is, is that, uh, I talked to a few professors, um, did a few extra assignments over the summer that bumped my grade point average just enough to get me back into this, you know, to, uh, to school, um, skinned by the second year, third year though, everything changed for me. And it was because of a video that we watched in one of our marketing classes. And this was a video of a guy, his name is Doug Hall, and he runs a company called Eureka Ranch. And long story short, they come up with big product ideas for Fortune 500 companies. We're talking like Disney and Ford and FedEx, like major, major companies. And he gets paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to come up with new ideas for them. And so in this video, he's there in a Hawaiian shirt, shorts, no shoes or socks on, and he's shooting Nerf guns at these corporate CEOs. And I'm in this environment in business school where everybody's in shirts and, you know, shirts and ties and suits. And I always felt like a fish out of water. And then I see this video of this guy in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. And I'm like, who is this? This is amazing. This is exactly what I want to do. And so what I learned from him, because he wrote a book called Jumpstart Your Brain, was all about how to come up with ideas. And it doesn't matter whether it's new ideas for your business, new product ideas, new marketing ideas, or whether it's new ideas for a romantic date, whether it's ideas to land a job, whether it's ideas to you know have fun with your friends. It's all about how to use your brain and come up with creative ideas. That was a huge you know turning point for me in terms of motivation. Because then again, it's kind of like that little, I don't know if it's a chip on the shoulder, but like, in my classes, I wasn't, you know, top of the class, but now it was just like, okay, what creative idea could I do to stand out to my professors to get good grades? And I would create games out of like my 40 page essays that I'd hand in. And I would, cause I'd think to myself like, man, this would suck. If I'm a professor and I've got this class full of people and now I got to read full of all the read through like these 40 page essays from all these students. I mean, that was, that sounded horrible to me. So I was like, what if, I could create an essay that was a game for the professor that they would absolutely love to read through and that they couldn't wait to turn the next page. And so I did. And, and I don't know if my writing was any good, but what I do know is that my grades shot up. And I think a large part of it was because these professors were having fun. So those are like some you know ideas. And then you know, fast forward into business, same thing. Man, you always face setbacks. You always face times when your motivation just like drops because, you know, maybe things aren't going the way they, they ought, uh, you expect them to, or, you know, in one case, our company was, uh, our software company was absolutely taking off and we were nine months into it. And our lead developer, in fact, our only developer was so inspired by what we were doing and the progress we were making as the company he came to us one day and he said, you know, uh, I had a business partner. His name was Tracy. He said, Tracy, Stu, I love you guys. And I've been so inspired by what we've created that um, I want to go out on my own and start my own business. And, you know, this was like one of those, like your heart sinks, but at the same time, like he's a friend. And so I'm happy for him. But at the same time, I'm like, oh crap, like, what are we going to do? And uh, that was a real gut check moment. That was like one of those, like, okay, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to you know, figure this out and, and, and finding the motivation when, you know, if you feel like you just got socked in the gut because it's not what you expected to happen. Um, and there are times like this, you know, all throughout my career and, and life, but I, I would say at the end of the day, Mark, what it comes down to is like just getting clear on like your bigger why, you know, our mutual friend, Gail Hyatt, she said, when you lose your why you lose your way. And I would say that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, in those moments, you know, in school, it was like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What, what is this for? Um, and in my career, you know, when Mike, uh, our programmer left, it's like, why are we doing this? Like, what, what's, the, what's the purpose of this business? Why did we start it in the first place? Getting clear on that why really helps uh, move you forward. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. All right, so 
I, I have to share with you, Stu, I, I spent the last week with some of our mutual friends. In fact, uh, Michael and Gil Hyatt with some of them. And your name came up during a discussion. We were having a mastermind discussion with some really cool uh, people that you know. And one of them said, well, if Stu McLaren was here, I bet he would have some ideas. And another person said, you know, that guy is a walking idea factory. And so what I didn't know is where that early inspiration came from, but your reputation, you know, thousands, if not from where you're at now, tens, 10,000 miles, whatever it is from where we were at to you're at, you know, was live in that room as being this idea factory. And so how have you used this, not just in your own life, but to inspire other people? Because there were at least two people there that were inspired by your, you know, idea factory mentality. And so is that part of what you have have used to build community or how you inspire others? Well, here's the bottom line. Ideas have been the turnaround point for me and have allowed me and helped me get everything that I have received in my life. And that's from, you know, the career success and the business success, certainly, uh, and the products that we have developed but that's also to like my wife, like I won her over through a series of ideas, you know, our first date here, you know, here's a little behind the scenes fellas. So my, I, I love Amy to bits and, and, uh, you know, I also knew that there were many other, uh, gentlemen that were attracted to her when we were in college. And again, it was like one of those questions, like how, how do I stand out? So I knew like I had to create the most amazing first date in the world. Because my backup plan was that I wanted this uh, first date to be so amazing that even if Amy didn't want to continue dating me, just through her telling other girlfriends of hers how amazing the date was, one of them would want to date me. You know, so um, this is like residual date, marketing here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's you know that's what happened. I won her over, and then it was like a series of you know uh, ideas like that where we um, I kept trying to win her over. And then finally, like when I proposed, it was one of those, again, magical moments where I went to the drawing board to, to come up with an idea to, you know, to absolutely wow her and surprise her with our, with, with a proposal. And, um, and okay, here's, I got to tell you this story cause it is kind of, it is kind of cool. So the first, um, when I proposed, I knew it had to be a surprise, but the, the hard part was, is we had been together seven years. So we had been dating for seven years. So all of our friends had already like gotten married. They were always like giving us a hard time of like, when are you gonna, you know, get married? It was like one of those things that was expected to happen next. But truth be told, the reason, um, I never really shared this before, but the reason why I, I hadn't proposed earlier was because I was still in the early stages of growing my business. And quite frankly, like I, I didn't know if I could provide for her because we weren't, wow we weren't generating the kind of revenue or the money that uh, I felt like I needed to, to be able to start a family. And so it was like a self-confidence thing at that point. But anyway, so this, this proposal, I'm like, okay, how can I surprise her and surprise everybody? So I got with my best friend, uh, Matt, and I, he, his, his wife and I share uh, a birthday right close. Mine's February 2nd. His uh, wife's is February 3rd. So I got together with Matt and I said, look, I said, we often celebrate our birthdays together, Monica and I. I said, so why don't, can I get your help with, with something? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, here's the deal. I said, I want to propose to Amy, but I want it to be a surprise for her. And so I said, what I would love is if you uh, suggest to Amy that we have a, that you guys throw a surprise birthday party for Monica and I. And he's like, okay. He's like, I, I think I get where you're going with this. And I said, and so what I want you to do is I want you to involve my mom in this because my mom, she'll go all out. She'll get everybody. It'll, she'll host, she'll want to host it at my, at her house and make it easy and invite like all of our family and friends. And he's like, okay, got it. And so he gets with Amy and he's like, Hey, let's throw a surprise party for Stu and Monica. And so Amy's like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds awesome. And then Matt says, I think we should probably do it at, uh, you know, um, Stu's mom's place, mom and dad's place, because then, uh, he won't know and they'll be in on it. And so they do. And my mom's just all excited that, you know, she's going to pull one over on me. So they organize this whole party and, um, and, ev and everybody's coming. And now of course I know what's going on, but nobody else knows what's going on. And so then the day of the party, Amy says to me, you know, so, um, 
I thought maybe, you know, we could go out for dinner uh, for your birthday tonight with uh, Matt and Monica. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not really into that. Like that. I just, I, you know, me, I'm, a, I'm low key. Like I'd just rather stay home and just celebrate it with you. And she's like, no, no. Like, I think we should really, we should really do this. Like, it'll be fun. Like, don't be a stick in the mud. Like, let's, let's go. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And, and she's like, okay, look, let's just go. And then, you know, we can, uh, if, if you're not feeling it by the time we get there, we can turn around and come back. I'm like, okay, fine. So, um, then she suggested a restaurant and I'm like, no, nah, I don't like the Chinese food. This is where we're going. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, you know, sweating. And she's like, come on, you love Chinese food. Let's just go there. So we go to this restaurant. There's Matt and Monica. They know what's going on. Um, so the three of us know Amy doesn't. So then we finish dinner and Amy says, um, Hey, why don't we just go to your parents for a hot tub? You know, and it's in the thick of winter. And so that's, you know, something that we would do. And I'm like, no, I, I didn't bring any swim shorts or anything. And she's like, oh, you can just borrow a pair of your dad's. And I'm like, no, I'm not feeling it. And she's like, come on. And I'm like, okay, fine. So we go to my parents. And of course, there's all these cars lined up outside the driveway. So I come in and I'm like, what's going on here? And Amy's got this like sly little grin on her face. She's like, oh, you just wait and see. And so then we go inside, we open the door. And of course, like there's all our family and friends and they're all like, surprise. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. So everybody thinks they pulled one over on us. And so then there's like a few birthday gifts and cards and stuff. So I open them up, but we had strategically planted one card and one present uh, that was the ring. And so I, I saved that for the end. And so then I get the card and I open it up and I said, oh, Amy, you're going to love this one. And she's like, oh, what is it? Like another wedding joke? And I'm like, well, kind of. And so then I read the card and it said, one, two, three, the surprise is not on me. Four, five, six, this is another one of my tricks. Seven, eight, nine, now's the right time. And then I went down on one knee and I proposed. And um, my mom, like, lost it. She's like, oh, my gosh. She couldn't believe it. But it was so much fun because we pulled it over on everybody there. So they all got to enjoy the surprise and the moment and everything. And I think that when it comes to it, Mark, like, when I think of ideas – that's what I think of. I think of like those magic moments where a little creativity took the normal and made it amazing and made it memorable and created an experience. And I just think that, you know, people underestimate the value of ideas and underestimate the time of investing in those ideas and cultivating those ideas. And I think that that's what makes you know great products really special. I think that's what makes great relationships really special. And I think we can all create amazing experiences when we give it a little creative juice. All right. So I, I have to ask this, and I know Kevin's jumping at the bit to ask you too, but as you are such a prolific idea guy. And that story was like, you had me at hello on that. I mean, it was, that was, that's, that's awesome. And so, but what about the listeners that are out there right now, Stu? And they're saying, oh my gosh, that guy is an idea factory, but I'm not. Like nobody, nobody's going to like my ideas. Like I never have a good idea like that. I I can't come up with any ideas like that. How do you inspire someone that, you know, Stu is filled with ideas and they just can't get them out or they're struggling to get them out. And you've seen the impact it's had on you. So this is a chance to just all of you that are listening right now that can relate to that. Cause I, I know there's a lot of you that can Stu, how do, how do they get these ideas out? So creativity happens by surrounding yourself with two types of stimuli. And this is what I learned from Doug Hall. And the first type is what's called related sources of stimuli. So whatever problem or challenges that you are experiencing, you want to surround yourself with a lot of related sources of stimuli. So for example, like if you were trying to imagine like the perfect date that you wanted to create and take somebody on, what you would do is you would start to look up on the internet, like great date ideas or great first date ideas that would feed you full of lots of related sources of stimuli, lots of related ideas to get your, uh, you know, creative juices flowing. Then similarly, you want to surround yourself with um, unrelated sources of stimuli. And what that means is like things that have absolutely zero connection to the problem or challenge or thing that you're trying to come up with ideas for. So for example, if again, if we're on the whole first date thing, um, I would look at like a purple pillow or a green vase or a wooden chair or a laptop. And what I would do is I would start to uh, ask myself, 
how could we incorporate a purple pillow or what could a green vase do? Uh, how could we use a green vase on the first date or that wooden chair? And what happens is your brain starts trying to make these unrelated connections. And when that happens, that's when you come up with these really special ideas. So related sources of stimuli are going to help you generate a lot of ideas. And that's important. Unrelated sources of stimuli are going to help you generate really unique ideas. You're not going to have as many, but you're going to have very unique. And it's that combination that allows you to come up with both a lot of ideas and very unique ideas. And it doesn't matter whether, again, it's in business, whether it's in your personal life or anywhere else. This is what you've got to do is you've got to constantly surround yourself with stimuli. So here's a quick example. My wife loves to travel. But she wanted, and she wanted to start a business around uh, travel. But she was stuck, and all of the ideas that she kept coming up with were very literal ideas. Like they were like family who loves to travel dot com, and you know, like all of the literal you know uh, domains are all gone. Like all of the you know, okay, that would make sense domains gone. So she was like really frustrated by this, and I said, aim. You've got this. All we got to do is we just got to get some stimuli. So we went to the bookstore. We literally bought like five different travel-related magazines. And I said to her, I don't want you to put pressure on yourself to come up with an idea. I just want you to go through the magazine, and I just want you to look for words that speak to you. And I just want you to make a list of these words or uh, websites that you want to visit or like places that you want to travel. And so she did. She started to make all these different, um, I enlisted all these different ideas and all these different places and all these different words. And what happened was it was just a matter of time. Like it was about an hour and a half later, she came downstairs and she's like, I got it, I got it. And I'm like, what is it? She's like, I'm going to create uh, this whole brand called Gone With The Kids. So, um, and it was like this play on words and it was perfect. So we looked it up. And boom, domain is available. And now she's off to the races. And so oftentimes when you're, when you're wanting to come up with ideas, it's not about trying to squeeze it out of your head as though the idea is in there and you've just got to squeeze until it comes out. That's not how you come up with ideas. What you do is you feed your brain with all kinds of different sources of stimuli, related and unrelated. And then your brain on a subconscious level starts doing its work and it starts making connections. And that's when you start to have the creative magic. Well, so creativeness, I mean, yeah, is I don't know you intimately, but I know you enough to know you as a creative guy and also as a playful guy, I got to admit, uh, I haven't had, well, two things. I haven't had an interview where I smiled so much during the story as I just did. My cheeks kind of hurt. And, uh, and also in your bio, I've never, it's the biggest cheesiest grin I've ever seen on a bio picture in my life, but that's part of your brand and bringing your own personality into your business. So really kind of a follow-up to like what Mark talked about where, you know, there are those out there who may not feel creative and you just gave some there. You have done a, such a great job of bringing your personality into your business. Can you, and I know now I know you work and we're going to get into this in just a second. You work with so many other people and helping them create these legendary businesses as well. I'm assuming that that's a big part of it. If you'll speak to that, cause we have a majority of business owners, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, uh, independent contractors in the Ziegler audience who could do well by doing is you have bringing their personality, which may not be like yours, but into their businesses. Yeah. And, and, uh, in full transparency, Kevin, this has never not been easy. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, I, especially coming through, you know, business school, like I said, I always felt like a square peg in a round hole there, but the way that that was that whole experience felt was that we were like a factory, you know? And so they were just chugging us through and out came these, you know, middle managers who might progress up the corporate ladder and become, you know, C-suite executives. But it was basically like, you're just, it was like a people factory. Hmm. And I never felt comfortable. But what happened was it like, it squashed my personality because like, you had to fit in. Like you had to, if you were to go into corporate uh, Canada or corporate America, like you had to be a certain way and act a certain way. And, when I started, you know, starting my own business, it's happened very, very slowly where this personality started to come out, where it was like my true, you know, personality, but feeling comfortable in bringing it into the business side. And um, what happened was, I would say in the last, I don't know, four or five years, is I started paying attention when I would speak in front of audiences, like what stories were really resonating with people? Mm -hmm. Where were 
people smiling? Where were people laughing? Where, what was happening in terms of the way I was able to make people feel with what I was saying or what I was doing? And I started to notice common threads. Like people after my talk wouldn't come up to me and talk about like this amazing marketing strategy that I just talked about. What they were coming up and talking to me about was my family, or they were coming up and talking to me about the charity, or they were coming up and talking to me about my uh, mindset on money and how they experienced the same sort of guilt that I used to have in the beginning and early days of, you know, of making money. And so it was these things I started paying attention and I started to realize none of that, none of that is, you know, a, a package deal. Like all of that has to do with my life experience, my personality. And it's the same with you, Kevin. And it's the same with you, Mark. And it's the same with everybody listening. We all have our own life experiences and we all have our own lens and our own filter by which we're able to tell stories and we're able to bring those experiences to people. And some people it's absolutely going to resonate with. Other people it's not and that's okay. But for the people that it does resonate with, those people are going to be almost evangelical about you because they can connect at a much deeper level that's beyond just, you know, the head connection like this logically makes sense. But it they connect at the heart like they actually feel connected because you have shared values or shared mindset or shared philosophy or shared experiences. And that's where you really connect with people. And, you know, business is all about connection. It's all about connecting with people because if you can connect with them at the head and the heart, then they're way more open to anything that you have to offer them because they know you've got their best interests in mind. And so what I would say to everybody listening um, is that it's, it's your advantage when you bring out your personal personality and when you bring out your experience and we start sharing your stories, it becomes a unique advantage to you. When you don't do that, you're just like everybody else and people are going to base whether they do business with you based on your, your prices and so forth. And you never want to get into that kind of a, a competition. But when you bring in the personality, it separates you immediately and uh, that's when the real fun happens. Well, right there talking about personality, you used the word connect somewhere around a hundred times in that <laughs> monologue right there. And well, but it, and there it is. It's authentic to you. Now I, I came to know you. Uh, as you partnered with Michael Hyatt and built Platform University, and I know that went on to be a high seven-figure business, I looked into Wishlist Member, which was uh, you know this unbelievable membership platform site, and now that brings us somewhat up to today, where you have Tribe and where you're working with people. You're working with I know your bio says established authors, speakers, and thought leaders to launch, grow, and scale seven and eight-figure membership sites which interestingly enough, I am in the process of doing right now. So I'll pick your brain for free in a minute, but uh, <laughs> on that, but that's connection. And so tell me about that because you're obviously have devoted your vocational pursuit at this point to helping other people create those connection points in their business for benefit, obviously, you know, personally, but also financially. Yeah. Well, for me, like I was stuck in a business model about 10 years ago that, didn't serve me. And long story short, it was a business model where it was like a consulting practice. And so I just didn't have any more time to give. Um, and, but that, so therefore my business was kind of tapping out. Like I couldn't grow the business cause I just couldn't, I didn't have any more time to give. The only way I could grow was to raise my prices. I could only do that so much. And so I knew that there had to be a, a, another model that would give me more leverage. And so I started looking into sharing what it is that I knew with more people through a membership site. Now, the problem was at the time, this was, you know, 2008, I didn't have the technical chops to be able to set this up myself. So I was getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated because I didn't know like what HT access meant and I didn't know how to set this up and that up. And I was moaning and groaning to a friend of mine, Tracy. And I said like, man, I would just love to be able to get this membership site set up, but I don't know like what I'm doing wrong or what I'm doing right. And he said to me, he's like, well, what if you created your own solution? And I'm, I said to him, like, dude, okay, maybe you're not hearing what I'm saying. Like, I'm having problems because I'm not technical. There's no way that I could, like, create my own solution. And he's like, well, why don't we team up together? He's like, I have a, a great programmer that works with me, and we can team up and we create something. And we did, and that was Wishless Member. And long story short, that thing took off, and then all of a sudden, I, I'm in this, I'm growing this business, this software company, and 
I started to see because of all the tens of thousands of people that we were helping, what was working and what was not working as it related to growing a successful membership site. And what was amazing was there, the, the strategies of the companies that were really growing, like the ones that were doing high six, seven, and even eight figures, they were doing a few things completely counterintuitive to what everybody else was doing. And so that's what I started paying attention to. Like, what were those things? The way that they, you know, created the content and the type of content they were producing, the way they would market their sites and the way that they would engage their members and keep them happy and paying month after month were totally different than what everybody else was doing. And that's why they kept succeeding. And so ultimately, when I sold my shares in Wishlist, uh, uh, several, you know, six years later, I took that knowledge and I partnered with Michael Hyatt. And it, for me, it was like an experiment. It was like, okay, can I take what I had learned from my experience growing the wishlist member and can I apply it to a site that I'm involved with and would it work? And it did. You know, with Michael's site, we had 1,100 members in the first week, 2,500 after the first year, 4,500 after the second year, 6,000 after year three, and it just kept growing and growing. And people started saying, what are you doing? Like this this is crazy. Like, what are you doing? Cause it completely transformed Michael's business. And that's when I started sharing these strategies with more and more people. And that's ultimately, uh, what birth tribe was my passion for sharing this with other authors and speakers and experts, and even just people who want to bring a collective community together. You know, like I, I think of Levi Kajula, who's got this amazing community of thousands of guitar players. Mm. Or I think of Anna DeGilio, who's got a community of thousands of teachers who she helps serve, grade two and three teachers to be exact. Or I think of Jamie Swanson, who's got this community for photography. There's so many different stories of people who are building these amazing communities for people in all kinds of different markets. So that's what I love about it. And that's what I love to do is to be able to help people connect with their tribe And because the deeper you connect with your tribe, the more loyal they become and the longer they stay paying members. And so everybody wins in this scenario. You're helping them make progress in their life. They're helping you grow the business because they continue to to pay month after month. And you can invest a lot more in your tribe because you've got the financial resources to do so. So I, I love where this is all eventually come to. And more importantly is I just love to be able to help people and, and share the stories of what they're doing. All right. So I have to get tactical for just a second because Kevin's already raised his hand and said, you know, he wants to start a membership community. Uh, Stu, you know that uh, we're already embarking down that path of a membership community. And so, you know, so I, I would imagine there are lots of people listening right now that's saying, Hey, I'm hearing this guy. Hey, I've got an idea. Hey, I've thought about this idea. So get tactical for just a second and share with somebody that's listening out there, Stu, that has an idea that they believe the world needs. How does Tribe help them get that idea to the world? Well, here's how Tribe helps. So Tribe helps you get clear on why people would want to join you in the first place. And once you get clear on that, everything else becomes easy because then you realize, okay, once I know exactly why they would want to join and be a part of this, of our community, how can I best serve them with the type of content that I'm going to provide and how I provide and deliver that content? How am I going to, you know, get those people's attention in the first place to, you know, attract them into our tribe and do it in a way that feels genuine, that feels authentic and that people are, you know, uh, excited about and pumped up about. And then once they're in, like, how do I keep them uh, interested, uh, excited, consuming the content and most importantly, making progress? Because listen, People generally join a membership site because they're looking to improve some aspect of their life. And if they are not making progress, it's a matter of time before they're going to leave. And so you and I, we get paid on our ability in a membership to keep people happy and to help them make progress. And I love, love, love that that's the measuring stick. And so inside the tribe, what we do is we help people get clear on how to help your members make progress, how to keep them happy so that they want to pay month after month after month. And so in terms of tribe, in terms of how it helps, it's, it helps you get clear on 
you know, what it is that you're going to offer and who you're going to offer it to. It helps you get clear on how to craft a membership site that's a perfect fit for you and your audience. And it helps you get clear on the type of content and how to structure that, how to market the site and how to keep people happy. Well, obviously we want folks, including us, myself, to go to Tribe Workshop uh, and get involved there, but just as to wet our whistle in a sense right now to look at it and go, okay, two or three, what are two or three? When you see people going out and creating a membership site, you say, look at top level, you've got to have one, two, three as a primary part of it. And also here are the top, you know, one, two, three areas where most people go wrong and it's going to sabotage things. Okay. So first and foremost, um, this sounds like a a duh moment, right? Um, But just stick with me. But you've got to get clear on who you're serving and the problem or challenge that they're experiencing. So here's what I mean. Like whatever market I go into, I do a ton of research first to find out like what are the two types of problems they're experiencing. And I'm looking for number one, the external problem. And the external problem is like, what would they go to Google and seek a solution for? So as an example, I, you know, I've got young kids and my uh, sometimes, quite often, my kids are up during the middle of the night. So I may have gone to Google to search like how to help my toddler sleep better at night. <laughs> you know, that would be an external problem, an example of an external problem. And so you want to get clear on what are the external problems? What problem are people wanting to solve now? Because that's their immediate need. Then you also want to dig a little deeper and you want to look for what's called the internal problems. And the internal problems, the way I think of them, is that this is the conversation that these people are having in their head that's keeping them up at night. This is the thing that they cannot stop thinking about, but they don't necessarily communicate it with other people. They may be ashamed, embarrassed, or they have fear about these kinds of things. So here's an example. Like when I sold my software company, Wishless Member, I remember the conversations that I was having in my head. And it went something like this. You know, what if Wishless Member was a one-hit wonder? Like, what if I'm not able to repeat my success? Like, am I financially making a really stupid decision here for my family by selling this? You know, what if nobody wants to do business with me now that I'm no longer associated with Wishlist? Like, there was all this fear and limiting belief and anxiety and all this kind of stuff, but that's what was keeping me up at night. And so, When we go into a market, we need to get absolutely clear on who we're serving and the problems that they're experiencing, both the external and the internal, because all of which is going to influence the way that you speak and communicate to your market. It's going to influence the type of content that you're creating. It's going to influence the the reasons why people will stay part of your membership. And all of that is critically important. So one of the big mistakes that I see up front, Kevin, is that people don't do this research. And so they just kind of wing it. They think they know, but they haven't done the research. And what happens is, is that their messaging falls flat and they don't get the response that they're looking for. And they think that it's because, oh, membership sites don't work or, you know, this wasn't meant for me. That's not it at all. It's almost always because you haven't got clear on the real reasons why people would buy from you. And when you do that, it makes everything easy. So that's number one. Number two is that when you are crafting content for a membership site, one of the most counterintuitive strategies, but yet most important, is that people are not signing up for more information. In fact, more than ever, there's an abundance of information that's available. People can go online. They can find tons and tons of information for free on all kinds of subjects. So why would they buy from you? It's not because they want more information. What they're looking for is convenience and speed. And so what people want is they don't want to go into a membership site and be inundated with a ton more information. What they want is they want to be told exactly what to do to go from where they are to where they want to be as quickly as possible. So inside of a membership site, the good news is that people are not buying a like a whole bunch of content. And one of the things that I would uh, encourage your listeners to make a note of is that the value for a membership does not come from the volume of information you provide. The value from a membership comes from the speed of which people can implement the information you provide. So it's less about volume, more about implementation. And when you wrap your head around that, the good news is that it actually also means that you don't have to create as much content. You know, that's often a big fear, like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to be on this content treadmill. I can't, I'll never be able to keep up, yada, yada, yada. That's not true. And so 
the beauty about this is the less information you provide um, is actually uh, creates a better experience for your members if it's done in a way that is makes sense so that people can identify, okay, here's where I am. Here's what I need to do next. Here's my next step. Here's my next step. And we walk people through creating what's called a success path. Essentially, it's just a journey of where you've outlined clearly how to help people go from where they are to where they want to be and what they need to focus on at each step of the way. So those are two big things where people are not clear on the real reason why somebody would buy. And number two is that they're just inundating them with a ton of information. And that's not why people are joining. They're wanting to join to, uh, to get clarity, a convenience, and speed. And so when you provide that, uh, your members are going to make a lot more progress and they're going to stay a lot longer. All right. So, Stu, you just said join. I know that there are people right now like right this very second and they're saying to themselves, I, I want more. I, I got to know more. And we're at the end of our program. And so we want to be able to connect everybody listening here to what you're doing with Tribe Workshop. And so here's what we're going to do. We are going to set up a special URL. It's going to be zigshow.com slash tribe. And we are going to send people to tribe workshop so that they can learn more. And I just, I want you to give just a little uh, taste because what I know about what you're doing is that you really go all in and you're unapologetic about serving your community, which means you only open it up like once a year, if even once a year. And so Unlike some of the, you know, the the offers or the, um, the the places that we send people, that they've got plenty of time to go check it out. You're getting ready to open up your tribe workshop and teach people, go more in depth about what you do at tribe and what it what it's like to have a membership community. But you also close the doors, and so in in sixty seconds or less, can you explain the logic of why you only let people in your community for a short amount of time, and why you shut the doors back down? Yeah, for me, this is a simple business philosophy. You know, in our business, we have different seasons, meaning different parts of the year we focus on different activities in our business. And the first part, we just are all in to attract as many people as possible to join us for Tribe. And so we're all in in terms of the promotion. But then once the promotion ends, our entire company shifts gear. And it's like once everybody's in and we've closed the doors, now we shift gears and we serve. And my belief is that we can't do both at the best of our abilities when we're trying to divide uh, if we were to try to do both. That's why you don't see us promoting and delivering the course simultaneously. We intentionally are all in to promote and then as soon as the promotion's finished, we shift gears and we're all in to serve. And so it's a it's a more of a philosophical approach to the way that we deliver our uh, course in this regard. And it's because we are all hands-on and I'm available nonstop. And I could not have the capacity to be available and hands-on the way that we are as a team um, if we were also trying to simultaneously promote it. So for us, it, that's what's made it easy for us to excel at both is that we have that hard cutoff and we shift gears from promotion to serving and that's uh, served us well, but it's more importantly, it's served our clients well uh, because of the way we deliver the course. All right, zigshow.com slash tribe. I already know because I've experienced some of this with Stu. He gives away some amazing content in just his free workshop so that you can learn more about tribe. And then he obviously makes the community opened up and available for a very, very short amount of time. So I encourage you to go check out tribe workshop at zigshow.com slash tribe. Stu, Awesome, man. I love hanging out with you. I'm inspired. I cannot wait to implement some of what I've learned even here today. And I know there's a lot of other people out there listening that feel the same way, including my friend Kevin on the <laughs> other end here. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much. And uh, it's exciting. It's, a, it's an exciting time because now we're seeing businesses of all shapes and sizes in all kinds of different markets who are leveraging the power of subscription. In fact, you know, I was joking with our guys because right across from our office is a car wash. Okay. Now a car wash, you would not normally think to be associated with a membership or subscription, but here's the amazing thing. 
in come a couple of the guys from our team and they said, have you signed up for your car wash subscription yet? And I said, car wash subscription. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, across the road, like the new car wash that had just started, they've got a membership. And I was like, really? So of course, like being the membership guy, like I'm fascinated by this. So I go over and I check it out and it's like the ultimate offer. You know, you could go through the car wash one time for 11 bucks or you could sign up for their membership, which is $12 a month, and you get unlimited number of car washes throughout the month. Like, it's a no-brainer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, $11 one time or $12 for unlimited for the month. And I was like, of course I'm going to sign up. So I go in, and I sign up, and I talk to the girl, and I said, like, how's things going? Because they had been open for about a month at that point. And she's like, we can't keep up. She's like, we've already got 3,000-plus people who have signed up for the uh, the car wash. And I was like, amazing. So then, of course, another month goes by. And I, now I'm, like, sold on this thing because I'm going through the car wash, like, every day. Like, they probably didn't, like, you know, think that customers like me who have an office right across from the road, I, I'm probably putting them out of business. But anyway, I'm going through the car wash, like, all the time. And uh, I'm now passionate about it. And I said to Amy, my wife, I'm like, babes, you got to get a membership, too. Uh, because like I was taking her car to get it washed and it was costing me like 11 bucks each time. And I'm like, let's just go to the, the, you know, the subscription. So we get her a subscription. So I go in a month later and again, I'm talking to them cause I'm curious. And I said, well, how's things going now? Like, and she's like, well, now we're up to 4,500 members. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is a car wash. And so here's the reality. Subscriptions are and memberships are all around us, whether we realize it or not. And it is the future of business. You're seeing big companies like Amazon and uh, uh, Apple and, of course, Netflix, huge, huge companies. What's the model behind so many of them? Subscription revenue. You're seeing big software companies like Adobe making that shift from a one-time purchase to a subscription. And then you're seeing all kinds of other companies completely disrupt industries like uh, Dollar Shave Club, for example. They sell razors by subscription completely disrupted a whole industry and got bought out four years later for over a billion dollars. This is the reality of what's happening. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, subscriptions absolutely can be a huge part of it. And more than that, if you are somebody who has knowledge or expertise or you know somebody who has knowledge or expertise that could benefit other people, A membership site is absolutely a dream business model because it gives you stability, gives you that recurring revenue, and more importantly, it gives you the ability to go deeper with the people you care about. And so this is why I'm passionate about it, Mark and Kevin, and I encourage people to come join us because in the free workshop, we talk about a lot of the things we discussed on the show. We walk you through how to create that success path so that you know exactly how to help your people go from where they are to where they want to be so that your material becomes attractive so that your membership constantly grows. And we go deep and we share all kinds of examples and stories of people in all kinds of markets like Nicholas Wilton, who's an artist. And he helps other people create more beautiful art. And we talk about how he launched his membership site to a small group of 200 people and 180 of them signed up at 30 bucks a month. So $5,400 a month in month number one. And there's all kinds of examples of people just like Nicholas and Anna and Levi and um, Jennifer. And there's so many great examples and stories and you'll hear from them in this workshop. And so I just encourage people to come join us because it's so much fun. This is the time right now to come do it. And uh, I'm excited to be able to share these stories and help people uh, do it for themselves. I, I couldn't tell that you were excited. Me Steve. neither. Can, we get, <laughs> Me can neither. we get a little bottle of stew if we sign up as well? A little, <laughs> little, <laughs> your enthusiasm will, uh, will will get us all on the right track. So, man, love you, guy. Appreciate yep. you very well, much. Well, hey, and I'll invite everybody to come join Mark and I because we got to be in there as well. I am sold. Absolutely. Stu, thanks for giving your time and just some insight into uh, what got you here and how we can benefit by getting involved with you. Uh, so there we go, folks. We'll meet you in the tribe. Stu, thank you. Thanks, fellas. Take care, everyone. Well, friends, I hope you are inspired to build a tribe or start getting super connected with your current tribe. Again, get connected with Stu at zigshow.com slash tribe. And hey, if you got value in today's show, please leave us a review in iTunes. And if you do, we want to thank you. Literally, if you leave a review in iTunes, email us at Thanks at ZigglerShow.com and we'll send you Zig Ziglar and Tom Ziglar's book, 
Born to Win, an actual hard copy. Again, just email us at thanks at zigshow.com and tell us the username you used in iTunes. We will thank you by sending you the Born to Win physical book. Well, coming up next in show 559, we go behind the scenes with Stu McLaren and follow the Ziegler Wheel of Life, walking through Stu's challenges and healthy habits in the seven spokes. Some of the highlights, he's a soccer fan, as you heard in the first uh, show here, and is almost always playing on a team or two. Being active with his young kids is a big part of his physical fitness regime. He started eating better for his kids' sake. He's big on managing family time amongst the entrepreneurial lifestyle and is a staunch proponent of having rules and boundaries. Mentally, Stu puts a high level of importance on having confidence in ourselves, and he believes fear is like a muscle. You must work it out, so he's routinely looking for things to do that stretch his fear muscle. Financially, he loves being an entrepreneur where you can make an unlimited amount of money and feels the more money we make, the more impact we can have which he and his wife are doing. They built 11 schools in Kenya that on average serve four to 700 children. And personally, he just loves creating experiences and celebrating other people. As you can tell, an incredibly rich discussion. Well, till then, folks, thank you for letting me walk with you again as we inspire our true performance together. 